Welcome to Grace in Public, preaching and teaching in the heartland and all around the world. Well, it's good to have you here with us for the program. Tonight we cover the topic of forgiveness. Really amazing. This next message, I really buckle your seatbelts. I don't know how many verses Dr. Stevens quotes in this message, but it's an incredibly thorough message on the doctrine of forgiveness and many other doctrines that are closely associated with that doctrine to help us get a clear, full understanding. 2 Corinthians 2.6 Remember, they would not discipline this man. Paul wrote a letter. This man heard the letter, instantly repented, totally got right, absolutely was sorry, And then, of course, being good evangelicals, they would not forgive him. In other words, you you condemn him while he's innocent, while he's guilty, overlook it. That's a good Christian. It's really being right right on the ball. So, sufficient to such a man is this punishment, which was afflicted of many. Then they went, and after Paul wrote, they disciplined him. The whole church did not discipline him. A group of people disciplined him, delegated by Paul. Because I I believe at this time they did not have a pastor teacher, so they did not have a pastor teacher, so the people that were taking the place of the pastor teacher did the disciplining. Now, So that otherwise you ought rather to forgive him and comfort him. Two things they should have done. What were they? Forgive and comfort. First of all, they were dispassionate spectators. Then they turned into impassioned prosecutors. You see how it works? Dispassionate spectators and now impassioned prosecutors. Now, there's two things that they thoroughly did not understand. One, they didn't understand in any realm because they were so preoccupied with the gifts of the Spirit and they didn't understand the power of Jesus Christ's presence and doctrine. So he said, if you don't forgive him and comfort him, he would be swallowed up with over, with over much sorrow. Wherefore, I beseech you that you would confirm your love toward him, make an affirmation of your love. But to this end also I did write that I might know the proof of you, whether you be obedient in all things. To whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgive anything to whom I forgave, yet for your sakes forgave I it. In the person of Christ, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Now, Two doctrines we want to cover that the church at Corinth knew nothing about. The first one is the doctrine of eternal decree. Now, the doctrine of eternal decree simply means this, that God says in in his word in Psalm 2, verse 7, he said, listen, 
I will, the son says, I will do what is decreed, the Hebrew says, by my father. The father planned it. And Jesus Christ will do what he decreed. I will declare the decree the Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. So Jesus Christ came to declare the decree that the Father gave. And the decree simply means plan. I, have, I will come to declare the plan. And Jesus Christ was his begotten son forever. Daniel 4.35, And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, Why doest thou? Now this is the sovereignty of God's divine decree. In other words, it's the absolute ultimate right of God in his plan for the human race. He doeth whatsoever he will. In Psalm 115.3. Whatsoever he wills, he does. And nobody can stop it, change it, or challenge it. So the determinate council in Acts 2.23 met billions of years ago. And the entire trinity was involved in the plan. In John 5.20, and John 8.26, in John 10.18, in Psalm 110.01, the Trinity was involved in that eternal conference billions of years ago. Jesus Christ would be all in all in Colossians 3.11, and he would be given all power in heaven and earth in Matthew 28.20. He was so involved in the plan that he said, I came to do the will of the Father in Psalm 40, verse 8, and Hebrews 10, 7, and 8. It would be after the counsel of his own will in Ephesians 1, 11, according to his eternal purpose in Ephesians 3:11. Now, the plan would be perfect in Psalm 18:30. Not one single mistake in the plan. And it would be through pure grace in Ephesians 2, 4 to 9. It would be centered in Jesus Christ in Ephesians 1, 4 to 7, and 1 Peter 1, 20 and 21, and Hebrews 1, 1 to 5, and Revelation 13, 8. He would pay the punishment for man's sins in Hebrews 10, 9 and 10. And... He would reveal himself through the incarnation in the fullness of time in Galatians 4.4 and taste death for every man in Hebrews 2.9 and justify them freely by grace when they believe in Romans 3.24. Now this is the doctrine of God's eternal plan. His sovereignty would make the final decision. If a baby dies, that's the sovereignty of God. If a person is taken home out of your life, that's the sovereignty of God. And that's part of his eternal decree. And he foreordained it to be a part of his perfect plan. He's never made a single mistake. When somebody dies and goes home to be with the Lord, that is God's perfect plan. 
whether it's your mother, your father, your wife, your husband, your child, that is God's perfect plan. If somebody is walking in the light with Jesus Christ, as so often they are, and their family is challenged beyond understanding, the plan is still perfect. The plan is perfect, and you can always know that the plan is perfect no matter what the results are. So you trust him with all your heart, and you lean not on your own understanding. Now, they didn't understand the doctrine of God's plan. Secondly, because they didn't understand the plan, they didn't get to know the operations of grace executed by the planner through Jesus Christ, the executor of the plan. Now, the doctrine of forgiveness. The doctrine of forgiveness. Let me illustrate it. Let me show you how easily doctrines are abused. What the church at Corinth was doing, they were sinning against mercy, love, grace. Often Christians get 15 people involved in something that one person should be dealing with, and then it frustrates the grace of God in the plan. It distorts the planner's attitude. The Father's attitude. It perverts the execution of Christ's right to execute the plan. You see, I've got to have Jesus Christ's attitude to execute the plan. We've already taken the negative side of disciplining church people. So that's been settled tonight. Now we go on the finished work side of repentance. And the truth is that I must now operate in the plan before my Father and Jesus Christ all alone. Why? To protect the plan of God in the execution of grace. I must protect the stewardship of grace. And I must think in mercy. My mind must think in mercy. Matthew 18:23-28 teaches the believer how to think in mercy. And I'm using the word mercy and not grace. Books that I've read use grace. I beg to differ. Mercy takes care of sins and grace introduces mercy's application. So, I'm to think in mercy. Why? Because Mercy follows me all the days of my life in Psalm 23 and in Psalm 136 it endures forever because the justice of God has been satisfied at Calvary by Jesus Christ's expiation and for our propitiation. God would, man would, and you understand those doctrines. Now, this is how God protects people's future. Now, Satan wants to come in here and not let this church forgive this guilty person. But this is what God sees about this terrible man as of right this moment when this is written. They were to think toward him in mercy. Number two, mercy leads to the action of unconditional forgiveness in love. Number three, they are to forgive as Christ forgave. Colossians 3.13, 
Luke 23:34 forgive them for they know not what they do and I will show you in a moment the word for forgiveness there and Ephesians 4:32 forgive one another as Christ forgives you therefore there's to be no retaliation Philippians 3:13 they are to forget it and then we enter into Proverbs 23:7 as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. We are to think in love and mercy toward the person that says, Sorry, I repent. Now, but the problem is, so many people don't think in mercy. What is the result of a person that thinks in mercy? Well, in Isaiah 26.3, his mind is stayed upon God. He has perfect peace. He's established in peace that passes understanding. Philippians 4.7 He is not double-minded. James 1.8 He's renewed in his mind. Ephesians 4.23 And he draws nigh to God to be cleansed in James 4.8 And he does it through humility before God in James 4.10 So the, the reason that some of you have so many problems in your soul is you don't think in mercy and you don't live in the results of the right thought life. As you think, so will you be. You can have it any way you want to, but God tells you how to do it. If you do it God's way, you'll be okay. And so you remember that from this moment forward. Now, here's the doctrine of forgiveness. First of all, in Leviticus 16, Deuteronomy 21.8, and Psalm 78.38, kafa. Now, English people call it kafer. And uh, I read tonight in the commentary why it's perfectly all right to call it kafer. But just so we can be real Jewish, we will call it kafa. Now, if you hear us use words interchangeably, it's because we read them and had a right to and have $480 worth of word studies and how to pronounce words in case we get twisted with youngs and strongs saying it differently. If you want to have some fun sometime, you try Weiss, Robinson, Strongs, and Youngs along with Vines, and you'll be so, if you excuse the expression, screwed up. If you try to do it academically correct, you won't know where you're going. So I went and got, several years ago, spent $489 to get it from the original. And uh, they give you some liberties that these modern Englishmen don't give you. So you say, well, you isn't supposed to do it that way. You don't know what you're talking about. You didn't spend that kind of money. So don't think you're so proud and don't think you're a know-it-all because somebody told it, told it to you differently. Now, kafa. Now that means to cover. Usually rendered atonement. In the Old Testament, when the offering was given in Leviticus 16, the Day of Atonement, from God's side, the salvation was incomplete until the fullness of time. From the offerer's side, forgiveness was complete and perfect, but they would have the consciousness of sins until the finished work in Hebrews 10, 1 and 2, until the official appropriation of that had been appropriated by the spirit of wisdom. So here's what we have, and we want you to see it with us carefully. First of all, 
kafar. We have the covering of the sin. And the blood meets every claim and to cover meeting God's justice. Remember in the Old Testament, divine justice always is in view because of the coming of the sacrifice of Christ in Romans 3.25 and it would satisfy God in the future and the faith reckoned it to be true for them in the future. Now, the high priest in the Leviticus 16 would confess the sins of the offer and then the offerer would place his hand upon the head of the substitute goat and then the live goat would go into the place uninhabited. So we had two things. First, we had the covering so that the person could receive grace and mercy and peace. The covering of sins. Secondly, we had Nasar in the Old Testament which means lift away in Genesis 50, verse 17, in Exodus 10, 17, and 32, 32, and 34, 7 of Exodus, and Psalm 32, 1, and 5. To lift away. Now, katha uh, meant it's covered, and then the second aspect, which introduced forgiveness. Now, uh, Actually, Nasa introduced the action of forgiveness, lift the sin away, and then Salak, S-A-L-A-C-H, means to send away. In Leviticus 4.20, 4.26, 4.31, 4.35, 5.10, 13.16, 18 of Leviticus 5, and Jeremiah 31.34. Now, the whole purpose of Nasa and Salak was after Katha, uh, was this. The sins then were completely covered. Secondly, they must be separated from the offer in typology. So they were taken off the offer, away from him, lifted, and then so they wouldn't be over his head, they had to be sent away. Separation of the sin from the sinner. The sin and sinner disassociated. The sin is no longer upon him, says Dr. Schofield. Never can be ever again, says Mr. Schofield. Man no longer has to live in respect to his sins. While he does have an old sin nature, he must never think of himself ever again in relationship to the sin that has been covered, lifted up, and taken away. He is no longer that person in remembrance, in fact, or in the past. It's gone. That's according to the doctrine of sovereignty. The doctrine of the divine plan says that's a fact. All right. He still has an innate sinfulness of nature, and he still commits sinful acts that he must recover in, but these sins that he committed are no longer charged to his account, and the sins are no longer on him in any way. The forgiveness, then, is based upon the atonement, the blood of Jesus Christ, the sacrificial death of the animal pointing to Christ. That's the word for forgiveness. <laughs> Boy, it's really something to be a New Testament Christian when you gather in his name, isn't it? That means you're relaxed. You have peace, you have joy, you have faith rest. 
You're occupied with Jesus, not anything else. You say, but can I worry about my problems? Of course, if you want to live with the devil. Worry is the number one sin. Worry, depression, and fear are the most wicked sins there is. And then sensual lust was next. Well, will you remember the doctrine of forgiveness? The people that don't do it, what happens to them? This is what happens. And the person, through Satan taking advantage, enters into chain sinning in the soul. Sins of the soul. Soul sinning. Soul sinning. Soul sinning. Sins in the mind, emotions, conscience, self-consciousness, and will. And the old sin nature takes over chain sinning in the soul if every single one of God's attributes in his name and experienced in spirit form, in faith form, in grace form. And if the power of God isn't manifested to eliminate Adam at the cross, then we enter into the sins of the soul and nobody, my dear friends, can counsel you out of it. You have to decide to believe God to get out of it. You can be comforted to get out of it. You see, they were to never remember this man's sin ever again. But more than that, they weren't to judge him and they weren't to be suspicious. They were to comfort him or pick him up. Pick him up. He was not to be put on probation as the dear old denominational churches would do. He was to be forgiven God's way. It was to be forgotten God's way. He was to be picked up just as if the sin was gone forever, disassociated from him, and he was never to think of himself in that, with that sin ever again because he had totally repented and he went to the right one to do it. Thank you for tuning in. If you can, don't forget to send a tax-deductible gift to us. Your generous donation made to our program promotes this broadcast and ones like it going out on the Internet and broadcast on local stations throughout the United States. So please prayerfully consider what you can give. Find out how to give your donation at www.graceandpublic.com. Well, that was quite a lot, wasn't it? You could listen to that over and over and over and take notes and look for those verses that he quoted and really amazingly thorough. Tonight, Pastor Schaller in the European Conference, which is held around this time of year, every year in March in Budapest, Hungary, spoke about this topic of forgiveness. And he read out of Matthew 18, talking to Peter, how many times do we forgive? Seven times? Until 70 times seven. An unlimited amount. And then he goes into this great parable. He talks about this king and a servant that owes him a huge amount of money. And you can read it, and maybe you're familiar with this passage, maybe you're not. You can read it in Matthew 18, starting in verse 22, and you'll, and you'll get the, the full picture of this story. But this uh, servant who was forgiven an incredible amount of money, but then he doesn't have forgiveness in his own heart. So in Matthew 18:32, And his Lord, which had forgiven him, said, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as 
I had pity on thee, and the Lord was wroth. Here we've got a great picture. It's really amazing. And that thorough account of forgiveness. We look at that message and listen to it again and again, listen to different parts of it. There's so much there. And we get a full understanding of the forgiveness of God, on why God forgives us, on how God forgives us. On that, God forgives us. Certainly, he forgives us. It's it's absolute. He forgives us not on the basis of us or our performance, but on the basis of Jesus Christ. We have this great opportunity to operate in forgiveness, and God would have us to do it. We have an understanding of it. We're not forgiving in the way we used to forgive, which we find a reason or some way to assuage our con- our conscience forgiving someone or there's some rationale where in order for us to uh, have freedom we forgive that person we forget about what they've done uh, there are all, all kinds of accusing or excusing different reasons why we would forgive but here this servant is cast into prison we experience a similar thing when we don't apply the doctrine of forgiveness when we don't apply forgiveness in a situation it really interferes with our walk with God. It's it's that simple. Pastor Jomi, tonight he was talking about uh, three F's having to do with forgiveness. There's a flow that I have with God. I'm operating in a flow. And also, I have freedom. And then, I have great fellowship with God. Great fellowship with God. It's true. We need to apply forgiveness in our lives. To ourselves, to the people that are around us, forgiveness about situations, about things in the past, and we purpose in our mind about what we'll make decisions about forgiveness now, about what will happen in the future. And we do. We have a flow with God. We have freedom. We have fellowship with God. We'd love to hear from you, so please go to our website and contact us. The web address is www.graceinpublic.com. So we can talk about a lot about forgiveness, and, and it's good to. It's good to hear it very often, I think, because it's, it's something that we apply very regularly in our lives. Perhaps you have not yet received forgiveness from God for your sins, for your shortcomings, for your life. When we receive Christ as our Savior, we really can receive forgiveness. It's it's there for us. It's available to us. Before having the ability to approach God, we have no way to get to Him. It's because we know Christ that we have access. We can boldly come to the throne of grace. We need to receive that free gift of salvation. We need to receive that forgiveness. Just like someone who maybe you've wronged or feels that they've been wronged by you, And that relationship just seems to be unreconcilable because they will not forgive or they will, they, they will not be reconciled with you. God has a desire that you would be reconciled with Him. Not on the basis of sorrow or guilt or, or any of those things. Anything that has to do with anything on our end, but on the basis purely of what Jesus has done on our behalf, that he died, he was buried, because of us, for our sin, and with our sin, bearing it to the grave, and then being resurrected from the dead. 
free from sin. And we, when we receive what he's done, are become free, free from sin, free, free from the penalty of it, and then progressively from the effects of it, and then eventually from even the presence of it when this life is over. So I ask you today, I plead with you today, receive forgiveness, receive the forgiveness of God. Maybe pray a prayer, something like this, Lord, I understand that you love me, and I receive that you died for me. You sent your Son to pay the price that I might be forgiven, and I receive that gift right now, and I ask you to transform my life in Jesus' name. Amen.